0: Thank you for joining me on the investing for freedom podcast. Today, I've got a good friend of mine, Andrea Sager, on the podcast, who is an attorney. But also, what I really like about Andrea is her curiosity, and she's very entrepreneurial. Every time I've ever gotten into a conversation with Andrea, it just goes amazing places. And today's no different. We're going to get into things like trademarks and why that's so important in this day of personal brands and online marketing and, and just representing your brand and keeping that safe and intact. And we we'll get into some, you know, best times to start LLCs, just a great conversation all the way around. And you'll want to make sure that you stay tuned to the end because Andrea has a great product that will help a lot of small business owners. I'm a fan of it and I'm actually going to give one away to a listener. So make sure you listen to the end. I wouldn't skip there though, because there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. And you know, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we overlook the legal side. We get scared because we don't want to spend the money. We think attorneys are just out to bill us hours. And I can promise you, Andrew is different number one, but number two, it's extremely important. So I hope you enjoy the episode and look forward to uh, talking to you at a future date.
1: Are you looking for freedom, freedom from the daily grind and hustle, or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights and interviews you'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life true success and happiness are all about freedom and here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms welcome to the investing for freedom podcast here's your host mike ayala
0: Thank you for joining me on the investing for freedom podcast today. We've got a good friend of mine, Andrea, who I've got to know. We'll talk a little bit about this through a mastermind group that we're in with Chris Harder, but I've really appreciated my conversations with Andrea. And that's why I decided to bring her on the show because she's first off an attorney, but she's very entrepreneurial. And that's what I love talking with her about because it's not just black and white transactional. Although she mentioned that she likes the transactional side, she's curious. And so I really appreciate that. So Andrea, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a good time. So just tell us a little bit about you and your background.
2: Yeah, so I am an attorney. I used to work at a big law firm in a big fancy office. I could actually, so I worked in Cincinnati and I could actually watch the Cincinnati Reds play from my office. Wow. That was awesome. But that was about the only thing that I liked about that firm and that office. And I, I only lasted about seven months there before going out on my own because I wanted to work with small businesses at that firm. I was working with, I mean, the billion dollar brands, the everyday brands that you hear about, and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. I had small business clients coming to me at the firm and the firm just told me, hey, we don't, we don't want to serve these people. Wow. And that really was my indication that, hey, there, there's a need in the market here to fill, to help small business owners get that quality legal advice those quality legal services. So I left after seven months and I've been enjoying every moment.
0: It's amazing because I have so many attorney friends. Um, I mean, I can think of probably five or six that just off the top of my head that, you know, had the, they had the career, they were on the 32nd floor or whatever, and
2: yep. they just went off on and the did... 37th floor. I will never forget that. Yeah. It's
0: crazy. It's crazy. So a couple questions and then we'll dig back into your background and where you're at today. So who's had the greatest impact on your life? The
2: greatest impact? Probably my dad. I mean, my dad has been there for me every step of the way. And he honestly just, if it wasn't for him, I don't know what I'd be doing.
0: That's awesome. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be?
2: Honestly, I think it was. So I'm from Houston, very big city. And I went to college in Pikeville, Kentucky, which is one of the smallest towns in America. And I think just making that move and going to college there, that is literally I think that's like the one decision that kind of changed everything. for.
0: Me. Um, when you called me the other day, your phone came up as Kentucky. And I'm like, are you yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> is your phone from Kentucky? So how did you end up in Kentucky?
2: Oh, good question. So I was a college bowler. Okay. I bowled in college. Pikeville, uh, at the time it was Pikeville College. Now they're at the University of Pikeville. They had the, uh, one of the top programs in the country. And I was a softball player growing up. I mean, diehard softball fan. And I just kind of got burned out. I had huh. some injuries. And once I finally realized uh, I'm done with softball, I didn't know what I was going to do. Huh. I was like, well, oh, well, I've always kind of bowled. And then we had a bowling team in high school. And I was like, well, I'll just go bowl. And it was just like that. I was like, well, I'll just go bowl in college. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll try to do this. I was like, no, I'm just going to go do this. So I, st- I remember going to college and I just started emailing just every coach. And I was like, Hey, this is me. This is what I do. And the coach Ron Dameron, he emailed me back and he was like, yeah, come on out. So I, on a whim, my mom and I went out there to visit and we had, Oh my gosh, I, I it was crazy because we flew into Louisville, which is Louisville, by the way, not Louisville. <laughs> and we, we still had to drive three and a half hours to Pikeville. Wow. Yes. And here in Houston, the airport's literally 10 minutes away from my parents' house. And that was, I mean, it's just a whole day to get there. There's no direct flights. And I mean, that should have been a signal right there, Andrew, you should not go. There. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did. I, you know, I was ready for a change I would, and everybody knew me growing up. Like, Hey, you know, she's going to be the one that goes off to college, does her own thing. And I did. And I loved every second of it. When I first got there, I was bored out of my mind. I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like (laughs) this place is awful. Like there's nothing to do. And I learned to love it. And I'd like to say that's truly where I grew up Mm. and became who I am today.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I have some mobile home parks in Kentucky and (laughs) I I usually don't go into story mode on podcasts, but it's (laughs) kind of funny. Just, I got to see a different side of Kentucky because I flew into Louisville and my regional manager had told me I'd never been to these two parks. My regional manager had told me, yeah, you fly into Louisville and then the first park's like forty-five minutes. And then, you know, I'll stay there for a couple of days. And then two days later, the other park's like 45 minutes. And so it was like an hour and a half loop that I was gonna make. Well, I get my rental car and like three hours later, I'm still not to the first park. And I'm like, I even text her and I'm like, I thought you said this thing's like 45 minutes. I'm like, Google Maps tell me it's like three and a half hours. And what I realized, <laughs> we had some tech problems getting this podcast up and going. But I realized that for some reason there was a setting on my Google Maps that had got switched to Avoid all highways, and so I was oh, taking God. the back roads like all the way to. I just avoided freeways, and I'm um, just like it was a tech oh, problem.
2: Wait, so where are where are the parks are you One
0: see? is in yeah yeah no problem. Um, one is in West End, Kentucky, and then I have Bowling Green.
2: Okay, so you yeah they're all Western Kentucky. Yeah. See, I was the complete opposite side in Eastern Kentucky, and when you talk about hillbillies. Pikeville, Kentucky has those hillbillies, but oh, let me fine. tell you, I loved it. So at the time, the former governor, governor Paul Patton, he was the president of the school huh. and they have, I'm totally not like the beauty queen at all, like not a pageant person, but they have this competition called the Mount moral mount. It's the mountain moral competition. And basically it's this huge festival and behind the Derby. It's the second longest festival in Kentucky and When I, when you think Southern bell and tradition, like this is it, well, this competition, they had representatives from every college in Kentucky, 2012, I represented my school and I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but the governor crowned the winner because the governor was our president. I got to know the governor really well, him and his wife. And through all of that, but my husband at the, he was my boyfriend at the time, but we got to know the governor and his wife really well. And we became really good friends. And it, like it when you think like cliche, small town, Southern Bells, like that is exactly what it was. And I loved it. I mean, it, we got to know that town so well. And I, I try to go back whenever I can. I know this like has nothing to do with investing or anything like that, but like Pikeville, Kentucky definitely has a special place in my heart.
0: Well, it doesn't have anything to do with investing, but the whole premise of the show is just about investing for freedom. You know, what do you really want and why do you want it? And so I actually like getting into some of these conversations because it's not always about money. You know, sometimes it's about lifestyle and just getting to know you. So it's great. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it?
2: Mm, I think this goes back to Pikeville, Kentucky. So in college, I wanted to be an accountant. I wanted to work for a big four accounting firm and what I learned in college was essentially like if you want to work for one of them, when you graduate, you have to intern with them. Well, they have their relationships with schools and you want to work for them. You have basically have to get this internship and they only really hire people from certain schools. And I realized I'm not going to get an internship with a big four accounting firm while in Pikeville, Kentucky, like nobody knows what the heck this place is. And I remember being so upset about it, but I think that's when I truly realized, okay, this isn't the only way to make things happen. This isn't the only way to get what you want. And I mean, ended up, I didn't, I never practiced accounting at all, but that was one of my steps. I mean, that was by far the biggest setback in my head because I mean, that's what I wanted to do. But then I realized, okay, well, I don't have to do that. I found a way, like I found a way to make other things happen and then I, I mean, eventually, obviously I decided to go to law school and that happened. But because of that setback, it forced me to find another way.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most
2: piece of advice? I think just always find a way, like if you have an end goal in mind, it's not about like whether you fail, like whether you reach that goal or not, it's finding a way to get there.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So you have a podcast that I had the privilege of being on. Tell us a little bit about your podcast before we dive into the legal stuff and just dig into the juicy stuff.
2: Yeah. So the legal podcast is my podcast that I started earlier this year, and it is aimed at helping small business owners really break down the legal issues and really to help small business owners get comfortable with facing the legal stuff. I know it can be scary. I know people Try to put it off until it's an issue. But I try to get people to realize, look, if you put the legal stuff off until there's an issue, you're going to spend 10, 20 times more money than you would if you would have just faced it to begin with. I'm trying to really empower is such an overused word these days. But truly, if you face the legal stuff up front, it can truly empower you to position yourself in your business to make big things happen.
0: It seems like I love how you say, you know, if you just face it. Um, The empowering side of it, it feels to me like a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners do avoid a lot of the legal conversations, whether it's trust planning, whether it's getting your annual filing in order. Like, why why do you why do you see that? Is it is it fear of the unknown?
2: Exactly. That's exactly what it is. People. Number one, some people plead ignorance. Like, oh, I didn't know this needed to be done. Well, yeah, because you didn't look into it. You didn't face that challenge. And because people don't know what's required. When it comes to filing an LLC or when it comes to doing the accounting stuff or, you know, filing for a trademark or whatever, all that legal stuff for businesses, because they don't know what goes into it, they're scared and they just assume that it's going to be a headache. They assume it's going to cost tons of money. But most of the time when clients finally come to me and they realize what goes into it, they're just like, oh, that was it? Yeah, like this wasn't that bad, huh? So I try to get a lot of people to realize just it doesn't have to be scary. It's not scary unless you wait until there's an issue. Then it gets scary because you don't know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, there's such a preconceived idea out there, too. I mean, it's ingrained in us from the time we're little about, you know, just even the saying, let me talk to my liar. Right. Like yeah. lawyers have this like and I think it's the ambulance chaser mentality, that kind of stuff. But a big thing that I've been an advocate of and constantly talk about is your team and the importance of the team. And you and I got into this a little bit on your podcast, but your team doesn't necessarily have to be your direct employees. A lot of times when we think about our team, we think about employees, but the reality is having, having the right attorney, having the right accountant, having the right, you know, maybe it's a even part-time CFO. If you're not ready for a CFO that I consider my attorneys part of my team. And I think it's just switching that in our minds as entrepreneurs, because again, it's ingrained in us. You guys are so expensive. You're going to overbill me. I've seen, I've seen this. I mean, I've, I've sat in this seat, like I get this bill from my attorney and it's not broken down and I don't know what he really did. And it causes me to question sometimes. I think that's what the entrepreneur really deals with. So how have you, how have you kind of helped entrepreneurs in that arena?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've been there too. I've been, you know, when I was at the big firm, I had the partner come to me and say, Hey, make sure you take your time on this. I'm like, okay, dude, like this is going to take me 20 minutes. Like you really want me to take two hours. So I've been there. And I've done it and it didn't sit right with me. So that's why I wanted to go out on my own. And that's why I mostly do flat fee billing. That way the client knows up front exactly what they're paying and there's no guess. So, you know, whether it takes me 10 hours to figure it out or 10 minutes, you know what you're paying, you're paying the same price, whether I can take my time or whatever Uh it's, there's no guessing. And that's what, that's what I like is because I don't have people questioning my bill they don't question you know what exactly did you like it doesn't matter like Uh you're you're paying the same fee as the next person so i love the flat fee billing for multiple reasons there are a few things that you it really just you can't flat fee litigation is one of those sometimes there are times where i have flat feed it and it took me 10 times longer than i thought Uh but i mean that's on me at the end of the day and now that um i have a lot more experience in regards to not exactly litigation because I don't litigate. We were talking about this beforehand. Like I, I'm not a conflict person. I'm more of the, Hey, let's find a solution for everybody. And litigation is not about that. So I try not to take on litigation at all, but there's definitely the matters where clients get, you know, the cease and assist letter or the demand letter, which I, you know, I was handling that right before we got on this call. But at the end of the day, I still like, value-based flat B billing. Like that's where it is for me. I don't want clients to second guess my work. I don't want them to sec- not feel good about mm-hmm. what I'm doing for them. So flat Bs honestly is the best way to go.
0: I like it. And even back to the team conversation and you know, I, I like to talk about leverage a lot, whether it's leveraging money, leveraging people's time. I think if you want something different than what you currently have in life, then you've got to leverage something you're not leveraging. I like, when you brought up the litigation piece, like my brain started spinning on, we don't want to find ourselves in a litigation spot. And even, you know, it makes sense to me that you can't do a lot of flat rate billing on litigation because if you knew what the judge was going to say and you knew the outcome, then there would, there would be no litigation. Right. And so that made a lot of sense to me, but it also triggered something in my mind. I've never, with the exception of a couple employment matters, I've never been sued. And I think it's because I've always looked at the prevention side of this, um, you know, trying to always keep my ducks in a row, I think a lot of legal things can be avoided by just doing the right thing. But let's be honest. I mean, we live in a litigious society, right? And so the fact that anybody can sue you for anything, whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, is scary as an entrepreneur. Address that a little bit from the standpoint of prevention. Like, I think it's so important to have the right team members on the front side of this and get your ducks in a row.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. And I find that a lot of my clients don't face issues because they've been doing the prevention. And I don't know that quote, like whatever it is, like an ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure. Pound of cure. There you yeah. go. And that's that's truly like my whole motto. I don't exactly say it, nice of a quote, but <laughs> I tell clients all the time, like, look, you're going to spend a little bit of money up front, mm-hmm. but that's going to prevent you from spending a hundred times more money down the road yeah. when there are issues. And I have those clients that I tell them, look, just spend a little bit of money up front. We'll take get this taken care of, and then they ignore me and they're like, Oh, I'll get around to it. And then the issue happens. and then they want it taken care of yesterday. I'm like, look, honey, I can't get this done for you yesterday. If you had listened to me yesterday mm-hmm. or six months ago, then we wouldn't be having this issue. And that, that happens too frequently, but it comes up very frequently with trademarks. So what happens is, you know, somebody will come to me and they'll ask about trademarks and I'll give them my whole spiel. Look, these are our fees. This is how long it takes, and da, da da da, and they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I don't think I really need it. I haven't had any issues." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, you haven't had any issues yet." And then, and this this is a big one that just happened recently. She um she had talked to me for I guess a couple of months, and finally she just like ghosted me. And then a couple of months later, which was I think it was a couple of weeks ago, she's like, "Oh my gosh, this other person is using my business name." All these people are getting confused, and I have to file for the trademark right now. And then she—I remember she was getting so angry at me, and mainly just because I'm the messenger. You uh-huh. know, this is what the law is. This is what's happening. And I, when I say I don't like conflict, I don't like conflict. But this was one client where I had to say, "Listen, you were the one that did not want to get this taken care of months ago. Yeah. This is on you. This is not on me. This is on nobody but yourself, because I told you what the law was." I told you what could happen and you ignored my advice and now you're facing this issue. So now we have to be reactive instead of proactive. And that's what I, a lot of clients do listen. Cause a lot of times clients will ask me, you know, once I talk to them about trademarks, like, okay, well, what's the point? Like, why do I need it now? And then I explain, look, you want to be proactive and not react because that exact client is having to spend, I'm not going to say 10 times more, but if she would have filed her trademark back when we originally spoke, she, I mean, she spent about so far about a thousand dollars extra, which for some entrepreneurs like that, that's nothing, but for a lot of small businesses, a thousand dollars is a big mm-hmm. chunk and she could have avoided having to spend that if she would have worked with me and we would have got everything situated months ago.
0: Yeah. Well, and on the prevention side too, I I know you've got a couple of stories cause I've heard them, but a trademark is a big part of your business, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I've learned a lot just listening to you over the last, call it four to six months on the trademark side and and importance. And I even made a comment yesterday where I was like, I don't think I need a trademark. And you (laughs) pointed it out like you absolutely need a trademark and here's why. But I think we would be doing our listeners an injustice if we didn't camp on the trademark thing a little bit here, because I think it's kind of ingrained in us to think that Coca-Cola needs a trademark or Nike needs a trademark. But in this day and age, and probably even then it mattered because you don't know if you're going to become a Coca-Cola, right? And by the time Coca-Cola got big, it would be too late. So in this day and age where personal brands, our online brands, all of that, our social media handles, all of that stuff can be and is really valuable. So enlighten us a little bit on name trademarks and all that stuff and why we should trademark whatever it is we're doing.
2: Yeah. So first I'll tell you what a trademark is and then I'll tell you why it's so much more important today than it was 15, 20 years ago. So a trademark identifies your brand, anything in your branding So think your brand name, your logo, your slogan, and your podcast name. If you have a product name, a service name, I like to tell people anything that has a unique name within your business, it can probably be protected with a trademark. And the trademark aims to protect against likelihood of consumer confusion. So what you want to avoid is somebody shopping with you, Instead of they're shopping with you, but they think they're shopping with somebody else. But because the names are so similar, they were confused to think that you were that other person. That is what trademark infringement is. It happens all the time. Now, it doesn't matter if it's the same exact name or not. If the names are similar enough that consumers are likely to be confused, then it's infringement. So my law firm is Andrea Sager Law. If there's an Andrea Sager legal out there, that's infringement. If there's Andrea Sager spelled differently, that's infringement. Andrea Seeger, Andrea Seager law firm or any combination like that, it's likely to cause confusion. So it's trademark infringement. It does not have to be the same exact name. Now, the big thing about trademarks is that in order to get a federal trademark registration, you have to be doing business in more than one state. Sometimes it's harder to identify. So, if you have a podcast, presumably people can listen to that in every single state. So, you're eligible for federal protection. However, if you have a local restaurant, if you're only local and you don't deliver out of state, or if you don't have more than one location, you're not eligible for federal protection. Now, the reason why trademarks are so much more important today than they were 15, 20 years ago is because of the internet. Everybody's doing business online today. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you're in Arizona. Your product may not have been as accessible by somebody in New York 30 years ago. But today, anybody can buy anything anywhere in the world. So essentially, you're a national business the moment you publish your website. Even, I mean, once you have a Facebook group, anybody in the world can find you. Anybody in the world can purchase from you. So the internet is essentially in all the new media, podcasting, that's the reason why trademarks are so much more important and for small businesses it's everything uh-huh. because it's so much more efficient to enforce your trademark online than it is by having to file a lawsuit because this is what happens a client gets a federal trademark registration let's say they they're on Facebook, Instagram, they have a website well all of those people that are hosting the site so Facebook, Instagram, WordPress, Shopify they could also be liable for trademark infringement for hosting the content if there's another business that comes along. So all you have to do these days, if there so I'm Andrea Sager Law, well, we'll use legalpreneur. So legalpreneur now has a federal trademark registration. From day one, I couldn't get the legal preneur handle on Instagram because they were taken. They were dormant accounts, they were used, but they weren't active. Uh-huh. So I got my trademark registration. That day I filed a claim with Instagram. Two days later, I got an email saying those accounts had been removed from Instagram. And then I said, okay, I want this other, you know, I want Legalpreneur as my Instagram handle. And within 12 hours, I had the handle. So once I had that trademark registration, all I had to do was show it to Instagram and say, look, these accounts are infringing on my trademark. I followed all their their whole procedure. And within 36 hours, those accounts were removed and not 36, but within three days, those accounts were remo- removed and I had the legal preneur handled. Wow. That's the power of trademarks today.
0: Yeah. If somebody, if legal preneur had been super active and had 10,000 followers or hundred thousand followers, would you have been able to get it?
2: It depends. Typical lawyer. I know. <laughs> this
0: it is depends. why you can't flat rate litigation.
2: <laughs> exactly. I know. because it, it always depends. Now it depends on how long that account has been on there. Cause I do this for clients all the time. And if the other party has been, it has had an account longer than my client, or if it looks like they've been around longer than my client, then the platform may not side with you. So it may take some going back and forth, but that also speaks to trademark rights, because if that other business has been around longer than the person who has the registration, well, the person with the registration actually doesn't have rights because the person who is in business first has priority to
0: the name. Hmm, interesting. So obviously it's to our benefit to get whatever our business name or our personal names and all that stuff trademarked as early as possible. What's the odds that, you know, if I've been active and all that, that somebody's gonna be able to come and take my brand from me if it's not trademarked?
2: Well, if it's not if you're if you were in business first. Presumably you still have rights, but somebody can still come and petition Instagram, Facebook. I mean, I've had a client have all their stuff removed because they didn't get the registration and somebody else did. And I've had the client that got all their stuff removed. One client, um, I don't want to say the name because that's a ongoing, but it was a trademark issue and they weren't in business first, but the two names were similar, but not that similar. So arguably it wasn't trademark infringement but the other party came along petition, Facebook and Facebook removed my client's account. Huh. So sometimes it just depends who you get over at Facebook, Instagram, Shopify, WordPress, whoever you're petitioning. So we have one right now that we've been going back and forth on Facebook. And this one, it's the same exact. So it's like a B and the, our client is a B and the other one is a B boutique. And like the boutique doesn't matter. Like it's still trademark infringement. And some people at Facebook, If one person sees it, yeah, automatically it'd be removed. But this one person, they won't remove it. Keep having to submit our claim. So sometimes it just takes a couple of times. But again, petitioning, once you have the registration, it's very, very powerful online. And same goes for a podcast. You can petition iTunes, all the podcast platforms. Once you have your registration, because once you have your registration, presumably that shows you have definitive trademark rights. And those platforms don't want to be sued as well for trademark infringement for hosting that content.
0: This is so valuable and informative. I just get mind blown every time we start talking about this because it's like the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Like when you look at you work with some really big brands, um, which, again, we don't need to get into the specifics, but these online brands can be worth a lot of money. And mm-hmm. so how many times have you seen where somebody's got a huge brand and they've n- never trademarked it and it becomes an issue?
2: <laughs> I just had this huge one. She, she has a boutique. Uh, so I used to own a clothing boutique and that's why I work with a ton of boutique, now. a ton of boutiques now. Well, this one, she's been like global boutique of the year, like this humongous boutique in Texas. And I've been telling her for years, like, Hey, you need a trademark, you need a trademark. Well, now she's finally got moving on it because somebody else came along and started using the name and she's not headache wanting it to be done yesterday because she knows like it takes a while and she should have listened to me months ago. But luckily, the other brands, the other brand has not filed for a trademark. So that's not an issue. But I do have an, another one where Barnes and Noble, they started like this new campaign or something that was using my client's trademark. Hmm. and at the end of the day, there's only so much that I can do at a low rate. And at the end of the day, like if you want me to, to continue fighting, like I don't work for free, like, mm-hmm. I don't work for free. Yeah. And sometimes try to make it work every which way, but sometimes the client's just like, I, I just can't do it. Like, yeah. I can't. So that really sucks. And that's really hard. But right now I'm excited because I have one, this is public against the law and Taylor law. And They've been trying to bully my client around for years. And finally we're just like, no, not going to happen. And it's good timing because of COVID like my clients mainly online and they're killing it right now. And, and co is not, and Taylor is not killing it. Like they, I know they're hurting. So we're just trying to, I'm not going to say strong arm them right now, but we're pushing them to make a decision. And fortunately for us, I think it's going to work out because of COVID, but there's plenty of times where I'm work, either working with the big brand or going up against the big brand. And that's my favorite is when I'm representing the small business against the big global brand. That's always a lot of fun. for me.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting times with everything that's going on right now. Our governor, actually, it's July 1. It's Independence <laughs> Weekend, right? Like we're celebrating our freedom and half the country's locked down still. But our governor just issued, I, I live in Arizona, and he just issued orders to close down gyms and movie theaters, which weren't open anyway, and tubing venues and something else. But the gym, there's a big gym here called Mountainside Fitness. And the day that the governor issued the order, which was the day before yesterday, he scheduled a live press conference and said, we're suing, we're suing Governor Ducey. We're issuing, we're requesting a, I mean, this is, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm going to butcher this, but we're requesting a temporary restraining order against his.
2: TRO, temporary restraining order. Yeah. You
0: got that? Yeah, cool. Against the governor's executive order. And now all these other gyms are following suit. And so this just goes back to the thing. Like, I mean, even government, a lot of times we think we can't fight government and we've all, I mean, business, you were just talking about Ann Taylor, like businesses are destroyed and we get these mindsets in our brain that like, we can't fight the behemoths. You're fighting the behemoth. This gym Mm -hmm. is fighting like the ultimate behemoth. Like they're taking on the government. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is an exciting time actually, because you said you're excited about this because they've been bullying your client forever. And I'm not here to get political, but at the same time too, like businesses sometimes are fighting to their death and we always have legal recourse. And so I don't think that there's ever been a more important time to have this conversation about the prevention side of it. So from the trademark front, just I know it can vary, but I mean, does it cost like a million dollars to get a trademark?
2: No, absolutely not. No. And that's why I try to tell clients. I'm like, look, I know you hear about Apple and Samsung battling it out in their billion dollar legal battle paying millions in legal fees but guess what that's not going to happen mm-hmm. if you especially if you prevent the issue so with us trademarks range from 1400 to 1850 and we that's our flat fee sometimes there are more fees involved but you can i mean that's it like you can get by with filing your federal registration getting a federal registration and having all that power online once you have that registration
0: I love it yeah. Cause a lot of times I think we think in our heads that this is a $10,000 venture, a $50,000 venture. And so again, back to that ounce of prevention. I mean, when we hear these stories and everything else, I mean, you don't want to put your blood, sweat and tears into, even if you think you have something, you should probably invest the 1400 to 1800. I get into conversations all the time, which by the way, this is probably a good time to bring up your legal vault, which we'll get into here in a second. But I get into conversations all the time with early business owners, startups, um, early investors, and they're always asking, when's the right time to, to start an LLC? And I'm like, (laughs) like yesterday, right? I just don't. That's
2: such a big one because there's a lot of misinformation, especially from accountants, because accountants are worried about your financial picture. I am worried about your overall liability picture. And because of that, I typically have a different answer from most accounts and, and the accountant will say, Oh, well, wait till you're making this amount of money. Your, the LLC, all it does is protect you liability-wise. It protects you personally from liability. It has nothing to do with your accounting. has nothing to do with how you file your taxes. You file taxes the same way uh-huh. when you're a sole proprietor as if you are a single member LLC. Uh-huh. So I tell people all the time, look, you need to file as soon as possible. And I explain once you have that LLC, they can't come after your personal assets. And that's what you have to protect. You have, even though you're the sole owner and I know this can be hard for some people to grasp because it's like, Hey, I'm the sole owner. Like, why do I, you know, things aren't separate. It's just me, but no, you now have a business, which is completely separate from you as a person, Mm -hmm. because if you get sued in your business and they get a judgment against you and you can't pay that from your business, they can now come after your house, your Mm -hmm. car, all of your personal assets, they can come after that if you do not have an LLC. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I can go off all day because <laughs> like it frustrates me when people because you can go to any business Facebook group and say, hey, when should I file for an LLC or should I be an LLC or an S Corp? And that's a whole another story. Uh-huh. But with an LLC, most accounts will uh, say, you know, wait, so you're making one hundred thousand dollars or whatever. No, you need to file as soon as possible to get that liability protection. What accountants are worried about for the $100,000 mark, you're a sole owner. That's when you should also normally, depending on what your expenses are, that's when you should also file as an S-corp. And that the S-corp, that's when you have the difference in the tax structure, the different tax filing status. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into all that, but that's typically what the accountant is worried about. They're not, they don't know about the liability stuff. So they just counsel you on the numbers. Just know that if you're a sole owner in your business, you need to file as an LLC as soon as possible. It has nothing to do with your taxes.
0: So just again, I want to make sure we get into the legal vault or whatever you're calling it, because that's powerful. But just to kind of piggyback on that, I've thought about this so many times and there's some, we'll talk about real estate investing, but even from a business front, the minute we start a business or the minute we buy our first rental, we just created some, again, anybody can sue you for anything. Somebody could be walking down your sidewalk and trip (laughs) and fall and sue you. Right. And so I'm a big proponent. Like how much does it cost? Generally speaking, to start an LLC,
2: it varies by state, but it can be anywhere from $50. Some States are most States are $50, a hundred dollars to file. Some California is 90, but you have to pay the $800 franchise tax. A lot of Northeastern States are 500.
0: And then getting an operating agreement and that kind of stuff I mean tack all yeah,
2: that. Yeah, so I mean we charge so we charge 650 plus your state's filing fees.
0: Okay, so let's just say in some of the most expensive states like I file most of my stuff in Wyoming and Nevada. Wyoming is our preference because it's cheaper. I like Nevada because it's where I'm from and I understand it, but Nevada like doubled their fees like a few years ago and so then made Wyoming like there's just some reasons why we like Wyoming. But Nevada was almost just as good. But then when Nevada like doubled their fees, we're like, well, let's go to Wyoming. But when I look at, okay, so even all in, let's just say that you've got to spend twelve twelve hundred 1200 bucks a year, or depending on what state you're in, or even to start it up, you buy your first rental and somebody sues you and they get some kind of judgment against you. Like you said, they can go after all your personal stuff. I'm sitting here just thinking this is something that, and maybe you have some kind of checkup plan. But this is something that we need to not think about once and early. We need to continue to think about this as we're having this conversation. And I got to fix this before somebody hears this and sues me as we're having this conversation. I'm thinking about it. I have a truck in my personal name that is actually my son's truck that I've paid off. And even though I've got my legal structures and everything set up, like that doesn't mean that somebody can't come after you or whatever. And like, I'm just thinking about that. I need to get that truck transferred to my son because it's his truck. Like I gave it to him but it's still in my name and I'm the one holding all the liability and risk. And I'm just constantly thinking about this. And so to spend 1200 bucks and then the annual fees every year is a small price to pay for somebody being able to come after you and take your personal residence or my son's truck from me. Um, if I didn't have all these LLCs, and even though I do have all that and I feel like I've got a pretty good legal structure, I still need to get that out of my name because it's not my truck. It's his truck. And I mean, even if I died tomorrow, like all my kids are nice, thankfully, but you never know, right? like, The trust planning, all that stuff is so important because it's his truck, but it's in my name. And so if one of the other kids got vindictive, they could come take their truck. And we're talking about a small truck. It's not a big deal. But as we grow and progress, just like we're talking about our trademark and our brand, we need to make sure we protect that. We work so hard. We work so hard in our businesses and as a W-2 earner, savings and investments that we have. We work so hard to just have somebody come in like Ann Taylor and bully you around And take your brand from you, take your clients from you. We work so hard for somebody to just fall and slip on a sidewalk that had nothing to do with me and have some rogue judge give them a judgment that takes all of my income from that individual property for the next 10 years or to die and have the court take or decide what they're going to do with half of your stuff. So I'm on a soapbox here, but the legal (laughs) prevention side of this is so important. So let's talk a little, you can say whatever you want to say, but what's this new vault you've got going?
2: Yes. So the contract vaults, this is my way of reaching even more entrepreneurs that still can't afford all of the legal protection that I offer because I get it. There's a ton of DIYers out there and I still want to make sure those people are set up as much as possible for success without actually hiring me as an attorney. So with the contract vault, it's really two parts to it. Number one is the contracts. There's the 80 plus contracts and you get access to all of them. You just pay one fee monthly or yearly, and you get all the contracts, any updates, additions to the contracts. And then you also get the Facebook group where I'll be answering all your questions. And then every month I'm also teaching a legal topic, teaching in-depth a legal topic about it, basically just getting that legal protection for your business. Because in my experience, the businesses that get in trouble don't do anything purposefully i'm not working with con artists Uh but they get in trouble because they don't know what the law is they don't know the legal business side of stuff Uh so with this program that's what i'm teaching because i so i went to law school i have the business background i have the legal background but my clients don't many of them just started this hobby and made it into a business you know those accidental businesses And yes, we know you can make money. We know you can make tons of money, but can you keep that money? Uh That's the thing. That's where I come in is yes. Great. You can make money. You have a business, but we have to make sure that business is protected and you can keep your money and not get sued and have it all taken away. Yeah. That's what this program is. So you get the contracts, the Facebook group with the legal, the legal trainings every month. Then if you pay yearly, you also get contract requests. So if you're, we have eighty plus contracts. We're constantly adding to it. And if you are, you know, browsing around, you're like, ah, I, I need the contract for this. Well, just let us know, make a request, and we'll get it added for you.
0: That's awesome. We could go a million directions. I mean, there's so much going on in the world right now. We love, obviously it's investing for freedom. I think our, again, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but you know, our freedoms and everything are being challenged right now. So what final things can you say to our listeners about protecting their freedom? And what would you just say to them? I mean, we might've talked about all of it already, but.
2: So the one question you asked earlier, I, while we were chatting, I remembered, I guess the piece of advice, the biggest piece of advice, you never know what's going to happen. And this is what I tell people all of the time. You never know what's going to happen. And that's why you have to prevent any prevent bad things from happening because you don't know what's going to happen. And This is why I tell clients because when we do our trademark applications, we require them to do a search. And when clients say, OK, well, when should I actually file for a trademark? And I tell them, well, if you're just starting out. Money's an issue. You don't necessarily need to file, but you need to act, at least do the trademark search because you don't want to launch this business blow up overnight, but then you find out that you've been infringing on somebody the whole time. And now you have to pay them your profit. Like that, like that makes no sense. Yeah. So, but if you do this search, we give you the clearance that you need to move forward and actually use the name, knowing you're not infringing on anybody. And we do that because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Maybe if the business ends up flopping and you never make any money, but what if you make a million dollars overnight? You yep. never know what's going to happen, so you have to make sure that you are preventing. You always have to expect
0: the worst, hope for the best. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a risk calculation, right? Yep, I love exactly. it. Well, Andrea, I really appreciate all of your insight and wisdom. So, what's the best way for people to find you?
2: Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Andrea Sager Law. I put out a ton of content, free content there. The Contract Vault is absolutely amazing. It's one hundred nineteen a month or nine ninety nine for the year. That is really the stepping stone to get the foundation you need for your business.
0: That's awesome. And if you guys want to reach out to me, I can get you in touch too on the contract vault. I'm going to give one contract vault away. Oh,
2: thank you.
0: Yeah, I'd love to give it to a listener. So here's what you need to do. You need to just send me an email to team at investingforfreedom.co and tell me why you think you need the contract vault. And I'm going to pick the winner over the next week or two. So just send me an email to team at investingforfreedom.co just put contract vault in the subject line and tell me why you think you need it. Also, I can connect you with Andrea anytime. So just reach out to us, Andrea. I I really appreciate you having just this conversation with us. It's been great.
2: Oh, thank you. No, I, yeah, I love chatting with you anytime. We'll have a great day. Thanks. You too.
1: You've been listening to the Investing for Freedom podcast with Mike Ayala. For show notes and links mentioned in this episode, go to investingforfreedom.co.